and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Thursday morning here in Manila, back in the good old USA. It's still Wednesday night, which means it's still somebody's birthday, but not yours, Tim Bontemps, who's joining us from an island off the coast of the United States of America in an undisclosed location. <laughs> All of that is accurate. Not my birthday. But not Manhattan. I'm not on the but continent. Not I'm not on Manhattan Island today. I'm on a different island. Next week, I'll be in Italy, but I'm not there yet. Oh, that would be fantastic. I can uh, I can text you in the morning when there's or in the middle of the day when there's nobody awake. <laughs> That's true. <clears throat> um, joining us from Dallas, Texas, the birthday boy celebrated his birthday with a case of back spasms. Not that you're getting old, man, McMahon. Howdy, partners. It is my Andre Kirilenko birthday. And uh, I felt it when I made the athletic move of reaching for some Tupperware. A <laughs> little tweak, a little tweak. Some heat. Some Sometimes stress. the Tupperware is real high up on the shelf, and you just no, need that ours is special low. Tupper. Ours is low, oh. so that's what got me. It's, fun, and it's funny you say that about Andre Kirilenko, because I, I remember when the Nets signed him that summer when they had KG and Pierce, and they, like... I remember being at Summer League in Orlando mm-hmm. when they signed him. And Matt Riccardi, who now is the assistant, I think he's assistant GM now with Dallas, but he's with the Mavs, came by and came by the media room, was all fired up. I went out in the hallway and talked to him. And then obviously there was this whole investigation into whether they oh, you know, yes, had, some, had some illegal agreement with him. And then he ended up playing a handful of games, was horrible and retired by Christmas. It was just a hilarious uh, okay sequence. So, did, what happened there? Is... Did the NBA pause? Or did they just call off the investigation? Because I think that's what the league does. <laughs> I wouldn't even try to do that. That was pretty oh. good. <laughs> Karolinko had a ten million dollar give or take option player option with the Minnesota Timberwolves. He declined it, which everybody was pretty surprised about. But okay, maybe there's going to be some long term deal. And instead, he signed a $3 million. Was it $3 million? I think content? he signed for the room exception or some sort of room mid-level, maybe. It was it was around 3 or $4 million at the time, whatever the whatever exception it was at the time. With the Brooklyn Nets, who had just been purchased by Mikhail Prokhorov. Where's Prokhorov? I'm, I'm I mean, sure. It, it was, it was a couple was, of years earlier, but yes. I'm sure everything was on the up and up, and I'm sure the league's investigation was completely thorough. Okay, so I, I did meet one Russian here, uh, Vladimir. Shout out to Vladimir. He's um, I'm not going to say where he's at we're right just, now, but he's, we're he's just right listening. now he's in Manila. But we're we McMahon. The list just keeps growing of the of the shout outs from on the ground in Manila. Listen, yeah, he's got a just... lot of people, a lot of countries, a lot. Of... <laughs> oh my God, you two, time after time, all day long. Okay, it rains all day here. It just rains all day. It's monsoon season. I tried to play golf the other day. I made it 12 holes. No chance of finishing. What a tough life. Can't get through an 18-hole round of golf. Through the middle of the night, we're getting um, alerts on our phones about flooding in Manila. It's full-on monsoon season. I finally get inside these buildings and nonstop people coming up to me talking about Bon Thompson McMahon, Bon Thompson McMahon, where are your two friends? Where are your podcast guys? On and on and on, over and over and over, all day long. And we bring back the theme song. <laughs> they, they probably, there are probably bands here who know this theme song who would play it. Uh, I'm making a joke. The Filipino fans are great, and uh, they are. You know what it's like? You know how, um, uh, like, in a... Uh, like if you're in Dallas during Cowboys season mm-hmm. and you know, everybody's probably talking about the Cowboys, like uh, on Wednesday, they're talking about what happened on Sunday and what's coming up and all that stuff. That's what it's like in Manila, except for it's about the NBA, but it's about the whole NBA. Right. Like they are like aware of like what's going on with the jazz. Maybe not every single person, but like, I saw somebody the other day in a Markel Fultz jersey. Okay. Uh, they are, you know, an Orlando Markel, Markel Fultz. You know, it was, was it Philly or Orlando? Was, 
you know, it was some specialty Jersey. It was like black and red and, and white. I don't know if it was some specialty Orlando. I think it was an Orlando Jersey, but it was hmm. some, one of the specialty jerseys, but they are very sad because the, the, the Gilas, the Filipinas, the Philippine national team went 0 three and, uh, and won no games. And so uh, they will not be advancing. So the second round is going to start on Friday. The uh, the, the, the field has been gone from 30 to 32 down to 16. The big surprise is that France did not advance, but that was established a couple of days ago. The surprise teams to this point have been Latvia, who advanced the second round without Chris Epps Porzingis. There isn't actually a lot of Celtics fans in Manila. Very pro-Laker. Not a lot of Celtics Except for the fans Senators, apparently. The Senators have advised me that they are one of the few Celtics fans in Manila. But one of the Senators was wearing an authentic Derek White jersey the other day. Wow. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. You see Derek White jerseys and sure uh, Markel Fultz jerseys. I'm not sure I've ever seen one of those in the wild in America. That's what I'm saying. Like, welcome to the Philippines. Uh, also, they have at least two NBA stores here. I've seen two of them. Giant fully stocked NBA stores. How many NBA stores are there in the United States? I believe there's one. I think there's, there's one in the one in New York. I think there's one in New York yeah. and it's, not, like it's said, gotten rep- repetitively smaller over time. These these are bursting at the seams. How and many selfies at least have you two taken? dozens a day. <laughs> dozens a day. He's a man of the people, down, Tim. He's a man of the people. Down the kind of the, the rhythm to it, the couple steps, shuffle, smile, shuffle, smile, shuffle, smile. <laughs> It's that it's not even like that. Like when I'm walking through the arena, people on the upper deck will be leaning down to get me in the background. So I can <laughs> I, I can wipe out like seven, eight, nine, ten, just just turning my body slightly. Usually this. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, no, uh, Filipino fans are great. Their their atmosphere in the arenas has been great. Here's the thing. <clears throat> they play at the games. John Denver's uh, Country Roads. Take me home, West Virginia. What's the name of the song? Country Roads. <laughs> sure. Yes. They love this song. They love John Denver. Good song. They play this song at the games and they put the bouncing ball on the word so that the people, it's like, it's kind of like a journey at NBA games. Yeah. Um, or like Sweet Carolina at the Red Sox games. Yes. Yes. They don't do it at every game, but they play Country Roads. And last night I was at, a bar where there was a, 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 a band playing and they played country roads, John Denver. They love it. They love it. Is this, and I a, do find it endearing. Have you set a personal record for bar visits in a week? Every time we talk, <laughs> this, was a, this was at a very, this was at a very high end establishment with, you know, wooden walls and. Couldn't be like too that. high and they're playing country roads. I'll just say that Ernest Hemingway was known to frequent this bar. That's all you need to know. That's what the kind of drinking? place I hang oh. out. Coke Zero. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, uh, oh, they also love the chicken dance, the chicken dance song. Big, big fans of chicken dance song, and the kiss cam, of course, is big. I didn't see the kiss cam in, didn't see the kiss cam in Abu Dhabi. Going to be honest with oh, you, but uh, I was going to uh, say it crosses all borders, but apparently not. No. No Kiss Cam in Abu Dhabi, but uh, Kiss Cam is alive and well in Manila. Um, so uh, Team USA finished the first round three and zero. Had uh, it was a forty-two and a half point spread against Jordan um, going into the game on uh, Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday morning in the U.S. Um, I wasn't sure about that because Jordan, while they were completely outclassed, had kind of hung with Greece and New Zealand. The New Zealand game went to overtime. And I was like, you know, I don't know if they'll put the uh, hammer down, but they won by 48. The, the bookmakers were correct. Um, so I have to say, Steve Kerr, and by extension, Eric Spolstra and Ty Lu and, and Mark Few. Uh, also, Jeff Van Gundy is back. He, um, uh, Our condolences to Stan Van Gundy, uh, who uh, lost his wife um, recently. Yeah. Jeff left um, and the whole Van Gundy family. Uh, Jeff left uh, from Abu Dhabi and just came back. And, you know, Jeff is a definite part of the coaching staff. Also, Jamal Mosley has been here uh, from the Orlando Magic, sort of ancillary members of the coaching staff. He was also um, the coach of the select team, Jamal Mosley. That's right. That's right. Um, here to see Paolo Bancaro play really, really well. He's playing well. But um, 
these guys are doing such a terrific job. You know, I think that um, we often talk about coaching where there's problems. And I obviously they have a talented team. I'm not trying to make it sound like, you know, they're, they're not working with, uh, with premium material, but um, the way they have assembled this team, Steve Kerr's had so many terrific quotes in this, uh, in this run, the way they have assembled this team, the way they have prepared the team, the way they have motivated, continue to motivate the team. The, the team USA was playing full on uh, focused basketball into the fourth quarter against um, Jordan. I'm going to tell you why in a second. Um, and just the nuance that they've, that, that Steve has done on a day to day basis. And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So, um, he changed his starting lineup against Jordan for the first time mm-hmm. since they started uh, training camp. Basically he took out Brandon Ingram and he put in Josh Hart, um, Josh Hart uh, against Greece um, a couple of days ago, came off the bench, had 11 rebounds um, and five assists. And this is a couple of terrific quotes that came out of that game. Uh, Steve Kerr said, says Josh Hart's position is winner. People ask what position he plays. He plays winner. And he he repeated a quote from Eric Spolstra, which was, some players get 50-50 balls. Josh Hart gets 30-70 balls. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spolstra obviously knows Josh Hart quite well because uh, they play each other in the second round of the playoffs this year, Heat, um, Knicks. And so Hart has very much impressed the coaching staff. But you may see, oh, um, Brandon Ingram is taken out of the starting lineup, and he's been struggling. He's been shooting under 40%, averaging seven points or six points a game. Uh, you may say demotion, like, uh, you know, he's he's not getting it done. Get him out of there. Huge disappointment uh, for an all-star. But they were doing it to help Brandon Ingram because they recognize that Brandon Ingram is struggling in the role where he doesn't have the ball in his hands that typically in new Orleans, especially when Zion is not playing the ball goes to, to Brandon Ingram in the half court. And not only can he create his own shot, but he creates shots for others. He is a, I don't know if I go so far as to say he's a point forward, but he definitely is a hub in their offense. Mm -hmm. That is the way he is used to playing. That is the way he prefers to play. He didn't come in to this event being like, okay, I got to get 12 shots a game. Get it over to me. He came in. He he told me. He studied the film of the way Carmelo Anthony played. He studied the film of the way Kevin Durant played. He came in trying to play, but he was just struggling. He is not used to playing it. So Steve Kerr says, okay. He comes to Brandon Ingram in the morning, says, hey, we're going to put Josh Hart in for you. But when you play with the second unit, we want you to be a playmaker. Okay? And... That meant that Austin Reeves and Tyrese Halliburton, who have been the primary ball handlers in the second unit, were going to have the ball a little bit less. And that may seem like a problem because they've been playing so well. But Steve Kerr realizes that the value of Reeves and Halliburton is as their defense and that they're going to create um, stops, which will enable them to run, which is when they're at their best. Plus, Reeves and Halliburton have no egos. So if they need to help Brandon Ingram get going a little bit, they're willing to do that. And so guess what happens in this game? Because you're playing Jordan. It's not life or death. The second unit, they let Brandon Ingram cook a little bit. Mm -hmm. He gets five assists in like his first 11 minutes on the court. He ended up with five and 15 minutes, but he had like four assists in seven minutes. And he also made some baskets completely looked different. Um, in 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 the way he played and what steve kerr is saying and you know the thing about it is steve kerr played in the world cup in 1986 1986 okay mcmahon you were in the single digits back then i think mm, not, not as of today but that's okay okay actually not <laughs> as yeah well not ever. anyway steve kerr has been around for a long time all right and of all the things that steve kerr has won he also won a gold medal at the 86 World Cup, which was not as common back then because we didn't play our professionals. Um, so Steve Kerr knows that when you play FIBA, that you never know how games are going to go. And there may be, even though the U.S. is doing just fine without Brandon Ingram's contributions, 
he knows that there may be a point. And it may be Friday against Montenegro, which is their next game. It may mm-hmm. be Sunday against Lithuania, which is, will be their, second, their, their other second-round game, that they need Brandon Ingram. And so Steve Kerr is working on massaging and getting Man- Brandon Ingram back to where he needs to get. And so these are the things that, is ha- that are happening with this team that I know that it's, you know, th- this game was just, with this game was played at 4.40 a.m. Eastern. I know the people didn't watch it. I get it. But they're working at it. There, th- there's a lot of work going on here, and there's a lot of positives uh, coming out of this team. And I know I've filibustered Bontemps, but I don't even know if you got to watch the game. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I didn't really, I really like the idea of Brandon Ingram coming off the bench because I, I didn't think, you know, to your point, him as a third option in the starting lineup sort of defeats the purpose of having him on the court. He's not a great defensive player. He's out there to be a scorer. And if he's going to be the third option behind Anthony Edwards, who's become the first option, Mm -hmm. and Jalen Brunson, who in that group is going to be the second option, sort of by default, then you're talking about Brandon Ingram as the third option. I didn't really like that. I think having Josh Hart out there, a guy who's going to be a garbage guy on the boards, is going to push the ball in transition, does not need the ball, obviously has tremendous chemistry with Jalen Brunson going back for many years now, but certainly now playing again with him with the Knicks. As well as McCall Bridges. Right. And obviously you're right. You have the whole Villanova connection in the starting lineup then with Mikhail Bridges out there, another guy who doesn't eat the ball. And then, you know, you're talking about Halliburton and Reeves. The the difference between those guys and Anthony Edwards and Jalen Brunson is Anthony Edwards and Jalen Brunson are hold the ball, have the ball in their hands, guys. Tyrese Halliburton and Austin Reeves are spray the ball ahead, quick trigger, quick passes, quick decision-making guys. That's why that second unit has been, such a weapon for them going back to the first day of training camp because those guys are able to take advantage of these second units. And like you said, now you have Brandon Ingram out there in the role he probably should have been in the whole time in the Carmelo Anthony, Jason Tatum role where he comes in off the bench and can just fill it up against these second units where there's nobody who can guard a 6'9 wing with the scoring ability that he has. So, yeah, I think Steve Kerr has done a great job with the way they have built this roster and the way they've utilized it. They are, like we've talked about a bunch, very small. It will be very interesting to see how this game against, or really, you know, both these games against Nikola Vucevic and then against um, Jonas Valanciunas, two obviously good NBA centers. Those are going to be challenges for them to handle. But, you know, the way they've constructed this team and the way Steve Kerr wants to play, they had a very clear theory of how they want to go about it. And it's really come into pretty great form in a way that it really never did four years ago in the last World Cup. Yeah, and I think, and I will admit, I woke up, checked the score, decided I didn't need to go back and watch this game. (laughs) I mean, Um, it was your birthday at 3.40 a.m. start Central, McMahon. You are given an official dispensation. Saw saw some highlights, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you I I really dug into uh, a 48-point win over Jordan by Team USA. But I think this also – works because of the versatility of Halliburton and Reeves. Like these are guys who they can be primary playmakers, but they don't need to be. And not necessarily that, that Brunson in particular needs to be obviously he played off of Luca, but you know, Halliburton has the experience of, of playing in a backcourt with De'Aaron Foxes as the lead guard. You know, Austin Reeves obviously plays with LeBron James. Both of these guys are used to uh, being able to get off the ball uh, if they need to, you know, they're both certainly capable of of spacing the floors and and uh, and being more of secondary type of uh, of ball handlers. And I think that makes it an easy transition if you want to put the ball in Ingram's hands more. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that uh, happened in this game was that Steve Kerr experimented with playing <clears throat> Bobby Portis and Jaron Jackson. <clears throat> excuse me, Bobby Portis and Jaron Jackson together. Um, Steve Kerr prefers to play small. He's basically mm-hmm. his starting center is Jaron Jackson, obviously who plays four for a lot of the, the time with the Grizzlies. Um, his backup center is Paolo Bancaro. Uh, he does play Bobby Portis some, but Bobby Portis is not even really in the second unit. He's sort of in like the second and a half unit and Walker Kessler is like the odd man out. He did play, some and when he has plays look good, it's not because he hasn't looked good. But he guess what happens if Walker Kessler comes in? He immediately starts blocking shots, getting rebounds, and getting baskets. Like his right. his production is um 
but you know, he prefers to play small, but he was playing, he was experimenting. And this is what I'm talking about with um, them using this game. And it's one thing to say, you're going to use the game, but it's one thing to actually use it. And they played hard all the way. In fact, Steve Kerr had to call a timeout in the third quarter to get his starters out of the game because the starters had the gas down and Ant Edwards was going for, he didn't know that Durant's scoring record is 38 in a game. He was informed afterwards. If he knew that before the game, he might've gone for 38 because he (laughs) scored 22 and um, Kerr in the third quarter, finally, you know, called off the dogs and called timeout to get Ant out of the game. And um, when he called timeout, Ant toss up a 35 footer didn't count because after the timeout and he made it and he was he was like man i watched that counted and um and is just uh an absolute joy he um ronde hollis jefferson who we talked about in the last pod was playing uh for jordan they played when he was a rookie uh hollis jefferson was with the wolves for a while and uh he was mentoring uh and so they have a good relationship they hadn't seen each other in a while and they were going back and forth. And Hollis Jefferson actually had 16 in the first half. And Ant had, I think, maybe 14, 14 or 15. And uh, then Hollis Jefferson sprained his ankle, rolled his ankle really bad uh, in the second quarter. And he kept playing, but he, he finished with 20. I don't know what he would have had. I don't know how long he would have played. Um, but uh, he he would have he might have gone for 30. Uh, he he drew he drew 15 fouls the other night against New Zealand and you may say well New Zealand isn't the in the Americans well he drew seven fouls in the first half against the U.S. seven uh, he's got like an awkward game and he was totally fooling I think in the NBA if you game plan for him obviously that would be cut down but he has something going on but anyway Ant was going back and forth with him and um. After the game, they they run out to the press conference, which they probably won't do too many more times because he, you know, <laughs> in FIBA, they all press conferences are in English, um, which it didn't used to be that way. They used to be translated, it used to be interminable, but English is the language of basketball and everybody speaks it, some better than others. I don't speak all these different languages. I'm not taking a stance. Everybody's done, everything's done in my language. Well, some of the reporters, they their English, you know, is accented to our ear. And there was a reporter from Spain and he was asking Anthony a question and Anthony couldn't understand the question. Uh, first, he couldn't understand the words. And then when, when the words were sort of translated for him, he still didn't understand the question. And so he goes, look, man, I keep it simple. I get a stop and I score a basket. That's what I do. <laughs> I was like, that was like, his answer He's like, look, this is my answer to all inquiries. I get, I get a stop, get a basket. And, and everybody laughed and Steve, it's a hell goes, that's, Steve Kerr goes, that's why we love him. <laughs> and um, so then at the end, he gets asked this question about Montenegro. I'm sorry. He gets asked this question about Lithuania, but they're not playing Lithuania next. They're playing Montenegro. And that was confusing. And even mm-hmm. Steve Kerr jumped in and said, actually we're playing, you know, or we're focused on Montenegro. Um, but they, but the person was like, well, Lithuania is undefeated. Are you worried about it? He's like, look, man, we're going to win. We don't care. This isn't an exact quote. Yeah. He was like, uh, I'll read the like, exact quote from your story. Okay. Which I would encourage people to read. Let me pull it up real quick. Y'all should go read Brian's story on Rhonda house. Jefferson, by the way, uh, mimicking Kobe. It was a very good story. Here's the quote. I think we're going to win. Edward said with a smile, we're undefeated. Also, I think we have a great chance to win. We got a great coaching staff. We got great players and our confidence is at all times. We're not really worried about those guys. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like he, it was unclear whether he was getting asked about Montenegro or getting asked about Lithuania. And he's like, look, listen, here's the bottom line. He thinks they're going to win the tournament (laughs) and they're going to beat everybody. And that's how we should be thinking because they should win the tournament and they should beat everybody. But but when he said it, Steve Kerr kind of gave like a, Ooh, Ooh, maybe we shouldn't have said that quote, but yeah, it doesn't care. No, he does and not. so uh, he had a great night. He had a he had a, he had a great night. Was talking some smack at uh, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson. It was you know look in a game that was lopsided. It was very fun to watch because of Ant. But anyway, I've gone. Well, this tournament is gone. This tournament has gone the way it it was potentially going to so far for him. I mean, obviously the, the yes. real games are ahead, but the the first month of his time with Team USA, it's been as good of a run as it could be. Well. The last time Team USA was in the World Cup in China in 2019, where they finished seventh, there was 
red flags flying everywhere after the pool play round. And they ended up kind of grinding their way through the second round. And it looked like they were going to be okay, even though Jason Tatum had gotten hurt and, uh, and they ended up losing two in a row after that. So now all the dashboard is all green. And one of the, th- one of the things that they were preparing for by playing Portis and Jaron Jackson together is that Montenegro has size and Lithuania has size. And the, mm-hmm. the only NBA player they have seen so far has been Vanessa Santana Kumpo, who is on the edge of the NBA. Well, now we start to see some real NBA players here, particularly some real NBA big men, Ooh. starting with Nikola Vucevic, who is averaging 21 points and eight rebounds, I believe, so far for Montenegro, Chicago Bulls, one of McMahon's favorite acquisitions in the league. I, um, I, I like the player fine. I just didn't like the trade, and I don't like the contract, but go on. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. And then Sunday, so the way the second round works, the U.S. will play Montenegro and Lithuania, whether they win or lose on Friday. And then four teams will advance. Uh, the four teams are in their little pod here. Two of them will advance to the quarterfinals. It will be record first and point differential second. So the U.S. wins both games. They're through. Mm-hmm. If they split, it'll get a little hairy, although the U.S. is in very good position because their point differential through three games is pl- they're 3-0 and and they're plus... 103 if they beat montenegro if they beat montenegro on friday they automatically will qualify for the quarterfinals they just can't lose that game going back real quick a a suggested headline for aggregators windy colon and (laughs) not a real nba player Just a suggested headline. i said (laughs) i said he was uh on the edge don't bother with the first initial, just saying Antetokounmpo, quote, not a real NBA player. I don't think I said not a real NBA player. I said on the edge. I mean, Slovenia has one NBA player. How's he? Is he good? He's not uh, on the edge. <laughs> hey, uh, let's play in the tournament. Mark, Mark, Mark Cuban is, uh, you know, he's retweeting Theo Pinson podcast where they're talking about this great debate of who's the best player in the World Cup. Uh, so bond temps, people out there listening to you, brother, because I ain't heard a single other person say it. You. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, listen, this whole this whole thing is taken on a very silly, very silly life of its own. I'll just say that. I'll say this: SGA well, is not has not made you look foolish. No, the whole point from the beginning was just to say that he is on the level of that kind of player, which he is on the level of that kind of player. You think if Luca certainly. It's fair to say Luca's better. I, none of this was meant as a shot at Luca, but of course, well, the entire country of yeah, Slovenia I, I, is angry. So it is what it is. Well, look, Shagos Alexander was a first team All NBA player last year. Uh, that is if correct. you've achieved that level, you are doing very well. Luca, by the way, is leading the World Cup in scoring through pool play. He's averaging 30 points a game. He's shooting 46% from the field, just 24% from three. He is absolutely, I mean, he. His ability to get to the line in feeble play, you're only allowed four fouls. And so the ability to get, did you see, did you hear that, McMahon? Happy birthday. I, I was, was going to let it slide. By so the way, uh, also well, happy birthday to uh, Mikhail Bridges, celebrating yes. his birthday with you. Well, I, this this Luca conversation transitions us, I think, into what's going to be the really. He wasn't done. Oh, sorry. I thought he was done. Yeah. Anyway, Luca is getting to the line 15 times a game. And keep in mind, the game the games are 40 minutes, and there's only he foul out of five fouls. So his ability to use his size and and here's the other thing: when you talk to the team USA players about the officiating, what they will say to you is that, and in some ways this is refreshing, depending on who you're talking to, is that the officials in FIBA referee the play, not the player. Because one of the biggest complaints in mm. the NBA is that, you know, obviously the players get certain calls. And that, in general, I'm not saying you can't find cases, in general. So it's not like Luca is getting, uh, you know, t- you know, touch fouls, although I'm sure that's happening a little bit. But so, I, you know, he's getting 15 free throws a game. Has he been teed um, up prob- games? I have I don't think so. So I'm just saying, so. like, he's... And he, he probably, so he's, you know, he's getting 15 free throws a game. So he probably still thinks he should be getting about 34. Oh, 
Listen, and and Luca, you know, you mentioned uh, a couple podcasts ago, wh- whatever pamphlet you're looking at, where there's a section about the referees, and is Luca barking at a referee? <laughs> is the picture? Um, believe it or not, Luca's had his fair share of disagreements with FIBA officials over the years. One of my maybe my favorite stat from the Olympics, the last Olympics, when Luca led Slovenia to the uh, a fourth place finish, not a medal, but you know, first Olympic bid. I mean, the guy had 48 in his Olympic debut was was phenomenal. But my favorite stat is he had five tees in six games. <laughs> Pretty good. I have to look. So, I don't think he's had any yet, but I don't know for. 100%. I know. I don't. I don't know for certain, but I don't believe he has. Okay. Yeah. So um, hey, all he needs is like 15 free throws, and and he'll lay off the refs a little bit. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So 15 free throws a game. So that's, you know, that's going to, that's hard to deal with. So he is, he, he, you know, he's, he didn't have his best game in their last, uh, I think he like six of 20 or something. Yeah. I was like going to say his um, field goal percentage took a pretty significant dip, uh, cause he had a, an off night shooting the ball, um, in his last game. But well, just this- one, like when you play, yeah, it was against, uh, it was against, uh, Cape Verde. Um, he was five of 17. From the uh, Eddie Tavares from the floor, yeah, the Euroleague Defensive Player of the Year, his former Real Madrid teammate. Yeah, I was briefly an NBA player, might be again at some point. He did have seven rebounds, nine assists, and four steals in that game. By the way, there's never, to my knowledge, I don't think we've had one this week. There's never been a triple double in the World Cup. Really, that's um, surprising. I, I think well, that's right. Games. Um, Lucas had triple doubles in 40 minute games before, brother. He's it's had true. So, so Josh Giddy from Australia, just because you know, Josh Giddy as a six eight point guard has the opportunity, you know, he's a good rebounder. Josh Giddy is a candidate, and Luca is a candidate to get that done. Um, so well, but anyway, but that's a big game. So on Friday, what time is it on Friday? I think it's probably 8 a.m. And you can if you're up at 8 a.m. on Friday, you can watch this uh on ESPN plus, not too be you know, a company man but like um if you're looking for a good game well it's uh, on the, friday it's, yeah it's arguably the biggest game slovenia, of the entire second round yeah slovenia plays australia on friday australia is two and one slovenia is slovenia and germany are three and zero. slovenia and germany are yeah. three and oh so because germany beat australia mm-hmm. and the way these tiebreakers go it you know if it varied that who advances between Slovenia and Australia very well could come down to the winner of that game. And actually, the more I actually, now that I think about it, if Australia loses that game, they 100% don't advance to the knockout round. They have to win that game to advance. There's history there. They played for the bronze in the Olympics. That's right. And Australia handled Slovenia pretty, pretty, pretty well. Uh, I think Luca, I don't think he had a whole lot left in the tank. By that point, yeah, he played his heart out in the semifinal. Right, where they Um, lost to uh, France when Batum had a great block on uh, Prepolich, one of his teammates, um, at at the buzzer. So, or right around the buzzer. So, Slovenia would love to get some payback against the Boomers. And the way these work is it goes head to head tiebreakers between tied teams, and then it goes to point differential in games between tied teams. And in this second round, you only play the teams you haven't played yet. And so the fact that Germany beat Australia, the Australians have to win this game to give themselves a chance. And then it could come down to a three-way tie if Slovenia then beats Germany. But if they lose all of two losses, they won't be able to catch either one of them, almost certainly. And by the way, Patty Mills is still the star of that Australian team. Well, Well, Patty Mills turns into Steve Nash in -hmm. these events. He's averaging 19 points. Yeah. He's put up some numbers, but that team is built around Josh Giddey. All right, Giddy's Giddy's on the rise, no doubt. But Patty Mills is still a guy who puts the ball in the basket for sure, at an awfully sure. high clip for that team. No, he's still a very important yeah. player for them. But they've they've really engineered this thing around Giddy this time around. Like get the balls in his hands all the time. He's he's. I mean, it's going to be this game on Friday is going to be Giddy versus Luca. Like uh, that's most of what the game is going to be. And that you know, for a guy for a guy in Josh Giddy who's going into his third year in the NBA, obviously going to be. Interesting to see what his role is with the Thunder this season. You know, how you know, obviously Luke Shea's going to have the ball. He's got to try to play off the ball. You know, that's going to be an interesting fit. It's a big opportunity for him going toe to toe with, you know, one of the very best players in the world in a do or die game for them. It's going to be very interesting to see how that one goes. So I will say also for Australia, one of the 
players who's had sort of a breakout World Cup is uh, Xavier Cooks, who is with the Wizards. Uh, I think he was on a two-way. I don't know if he's still on a two-way. I can tell you right. Last now. year was his first year with the team. He's a he's a four. He is uh, he has been like a bit of a revelation for the Australians. He's averaging mm-hmm. um, fourteen he's points. On a, a game. He's on a standard and, contract um, for Bobby's uh, info. Oh, is he? Okay, but he is a shot blocker and uh, he is averaging like two shot two blocks a game, fourteen points. And so here are his numbers here. He's averaging 14 points, 7.7 rebounds, seven blocks a game. And dingy on blocks in, in, the, in, in from my estimate, I haven't seen his, but like Jaron Jackson has robbed of at least one to two blocks a game. I don't know <laughs> how they're computing hey, them, but. Wendy, Wendy um, hates the refs for FIBA. <laughs> it's that keepers. <laughs> Actually, I think the officiating has been okay so far. I haven't seen anything wild. Uh, the officiating has been okay. Um, but like everything from FIBA is just a little bit not right. <laughs> They're very, very focused on the, the operation in general is very, very focused on a set a set rules as opposed to practicality. Practicality goes right out the window. Um, yeah. And that's not just here. That's it's always the case. And, and, um, and by anyway, the, way, the, uh, the, the Slovenia-Australia game is huge for the Mavericks, not just because it's Luka, but there are two Mavericks players in the Australian rotation. Right. Uh, Josh Green, who's obviously been around for a while and perhaps could have a contract extension by the time the season starts. And Dante Exum, who signed a minimum deal after spending some time over in Europe to try to uh, get his NBA career going again. I would assume Exum so will actually Exum spend a lot of time has, guarding Luca. Yes, I would think he'll be the primary assignment on. He's been starting, I think. Yes, Exum has been, has been getting good reviews for his sort of rebound situation while I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's actually, I don't, you know, look, it's a minimum signing, right? I don't, you know, minimum signings don't, don't um, always pay off, but the people I know who pay attention to, to Mm -hmm. things thought that was a good, uh, a a quality uh, attempt, a quality move by Dallas uh, at a low risk, potentially high upside move for Exum. Now, and I Josh was Green, he's a guy who definitely deserves another shot in the NBA. And I mean, he was a fifth overall pick. He definitely can guard. He used to not be able to shoot, but he shot it well last year in Europe. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. Through the first couple Josh games, Green, I just look, Josh Green and Matisse Thibault have been going back and forth in the starting lineup. So I would think at least to start that one of them will be getting the initial assignment on Luca. But I, I'm so, sure whenever Dante's on the court, that's who he'll be guarding. The thing about Josh Green is um, he seems to thrive playing up-tempo. Yes. And, uh, and I'm not sure that's always the way they play. Uh, he has played well. He's shooting 63% overall in the World Cup. Um, but he had his weakest game in the game that they lost to Germany. Um, and that was without Franz Wagner, who's been dealing with, a, uh, with an ankle injury. So... Um, they obviously need Josh Green to play really well. So uh, he's been fine, but he hasn't maybe been as as impactful as was hoped. Uh, also, Joe Ingles, um, he hasn't shot the three ball well. Um, but you know, there's always there's always time in these situations. So they have a big game on Friday. Uh, I will tell you in a second exactly what that what time that game is. But you can watch on ESPN. I can Plus I can tell you I can tell like you right it. now that game is at. Uh... At 7.55 Eastern time on ESPN+. Plus. I will say for, for folks like me who maybe aren't just like wake up super early type of people, you can watch those games on replay on ESPN Plus as well. That's right. You can't go back and see the whole game. So yeah. that it, it is available for that. And that game is also huge for um, Slovenia in particular for Olympic qualification purposes mm-hmm. australia is already qualified because in oceania they just qualify almost automatically they they did when new zealand yeah, lost new, Z- new zealand lost last night yeah they, they qualified but if the slovenians don't get out of the second round and into the quarters you have to be one of the top two european finishers and with with serbia and germany and um spain all you know very likely at this point the way this is broken out um you know serbia and spain are, are all but certain i think or I shouldn't say certain, but very likely to advance to the quarterfinals. Right. If you don't get it, if you don't get into the quarterfinals, you're into the into one of these qualification tournaments next summer, like the one Luca had to go to Lithuania to win uh, back in 21 to even get into the Olympics. Yeah. So this is big it, on a variety of levels. 
Yeah, which means you got to play four games before you even get to the Olympics. And when you talk about yeah. maybe running out of gas towards the end, that's uh, probably part of it. Yep. So anyway, so the U.S. will play Montenegro on Friday, Lithuania on Sunday. Lithuania is huge. Jonas Valanciunas is there. Um, they have other uh, they have other terrific uh, big guys, and then they have a really good guard, um, Rokas Jokubaitis. I think is how you say his name. He, he is uh, Jokubaitis, former Knicks draft pick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Early second round pick a couple he, years ago. Yeah, he is. Just call him Rokas. That's what you know. So that'll be one of the things that the U.S. They have just such an advantage at the guard position. You know, there's some guys. There's some big men here that are that are pretty good. And there's some wings that are pretty good. But at the guard position, the U.S. just and that's why Shea Gilgis Alexander and Luca are so much of a threat because they're not going to dominate the guards. Like you know, the guards for Jordan. I mean. Mikhail Bridges was like, he was doing psychological damage to them um, because like the U S game plan is to pressure the ball because they don't have big size. And, you know, Jaron Jackson's like back there just trying to block shots. Um, he's hard to get around, but they don't have great size. So they pressure the heck out of the ball. And Mikhail Bridges is often the guy at the point of attack. And quite frankly, it's difficult at times for people to get the ball across half court on the U S. And so, well, but, to be clear, um, it's difficult for teams like Jordan to get the ball over half court. Right, it's not but, going to be the but, case when they're playing against teams like Lithuania and Germany. Well, and Serbia I would say to you that having Canada. watched, right, I would say to you having watched Lithuania for years, that Lithuania's guard play has long been their challenge. But Rokas is a big improvement in that regard. And he averages averaging 12 points and, um, five assists and they, I think Lithuania has like seven guys averaging at least seven points. They have a very spread out um, uh, attack and they're very big. And so um, Steve Kerr was getting ready for that, for that game by looking at two big lineups, which he doesn't like, I think particularly to play. Um, but U S takes, takes care of Montenegro on Friday. It's a big thing, but really the U S really wants to win these two games. Obviously you want to win every game. If the U S wins uh, against Montenegro and Lithuania. They slot themselves into a spot in the quarterfinals where they are on the opposite side of Canada and the the, the team that wins that uh, Germany, Australia, uh, brain fart, Slovenia bracket. So they would avoid those teams in the quarterfinals. They would probably be slotted in to play either Italy or uh, Dominican at this point, uh, Serbia possibly as well. Those are teams that are a little bit lesser in my view. No offense to anybody, a little bit lesser. And then the second part of it is if Boy, the U.S. wins those two bad. games and, and slots into that spot in the quarterfinals, they get two days off in between the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Ooh. That is a big advantage. In I would argue that that, that two-day off situation – might have made a huge difference in the last World Cup because in the last World Cup, Argentina got that spot. And the fact that Luis Scola, who was like one of the best players in the event, got two days off between the quarterfinals and semifinals At age made a 41. huge difference. <laughs> yes, he was first team all tournament. And he was brilliant in the semifinals mm -hmm. when Argentina upset Australia in double overtime. And then he had nothing left in the final. The, 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 the Spanish blew out Argentina, but it does make a difference. And that that late in the tournament, you know, so so having an easier draw and a and a better and a better schedule there would make a difference. So those two wins would make a difference. The other thing I'm going to say before we move on to Ben Simmons Ooh. is that if Canada keeps winning and the U.S. keep winning, they're headed for a meeting in the finals. If Canada loses or the U.S. loses between now and the start of the quarterfinals, that bracketing can change. But if you're looking for potential, and I'm not assuming that, just to be clear, because there's a lot of happens. But if you're looking for this potential Canada versus U.S. showdown, which I think a lot of people think could be the case, if they keep winning, it would be in the finals, which is on September 10th, Sunday, September 10th, which is, look, it's in the morning. You can watch that before you watch the NFL Sunday. There you go. Watch that as your watch that as your pick in your fantasy ESPN team too. I think actually getting yeah. your starters and who's on the bench. Hey, if there's two days off between games, do you, do you think you can get Austin Reeves out there on the golf course? 
You know he's going to try. Brother, there ain't nobody playing golf in Manila right now. It is it is buckets of rain are falling nonstop. <laughs> nobody playing golf right now. So More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay. So Ben Simmons gave an interview to our Mark J. Spears from our partner at Anscape. Um, Hall um, of Famer and Mark J. Spears, please. Say Hall of Famer. Bon Temps, the New Yorker among us. Mm. This was a hell of an interview. Sure was. And it, he, he did the interview in Miami where he's been working out. I mean, we've seen footage of Ben Simmons, obviously. Every offseason. <laughs> Come yes. on. I mean, here, here, uh, I don't, look, here, here's the deal. Ben Simmons said a lot of stuff in this interview. Okay. I think we could set all of it aside because I, I think there's only two real takeaways here. The well, first we read is what he said, well, <laughs> we should read what he said. We can, we can read through what he said. I, to me, I don't care about what he said because other than one thing, which is what I'm going to say now, which is that he just started playing two on two. That's right. Thank you. So That's what me, I took away from that. The the rest of the stuff he said about, I'm going to come back and kill and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I don't care. I, ben Simmons, when Ben Simmons was before a few years ago, when he was playing early in his career in Philly, he's a terrific player. Mm-hmm. I enjoy watching him play. I hope we can get back to watching that version of Ben Simmons play until we see that version of Ben Simmons or something close to it. Again, I'm not holding my breath waiting to see, and I don't care what he says about it. It's the same with, the Zion Williamson situation, these guys who just are not playing, they need to just play. He needs to be on the court and play. And when he says, I've just started doing two-on-two work at the start of September, that does not give me a lot of confidence that Ben Simmons is going to be out there on the court and ready to go against the Cavs at the end of October when Brooklyn kicks off their season. That, to me, is all that really matters from this. Well, well I don't really care if he plays in October, but I care more about what he looks like when he does play. Well, I understand that. I'm just saying for this, for all of the talk about, oh, I feel great and things are going great. Like if he's just well, yeah, he announces, court, he announces I'm at 100%. I feel I'm at 100%. Well, but that I, I mean, he can say made. that, but he's not at 100% because he just started playing two on two and we're at Labor Day weekend. Yeah, that's, that's problematic. Um, and look, the reason Ben Simmons was so awesome when he was younger, before all this stuff happened, the, the guy was one of the best athletes in the NBA. No I mean, he was a six foot ten point guard who was top five athlete in the entire league. Back surgeries sap athleticism. I I just I don't think it's reasonable to think he's ever going to be forget top five like a top fifty athlete in the league again. And if he's not a top fifty athlete. Then his his lack of, you know, th- that's like he was such a freak athlete that he could overcome his lack of the, of shooting ability. If he's just a good athlete, then he can't. Especially, well, I mean, it's, it's, especially without a roster that's just totally tailored uh, to to play with him. And even over the five or six years since he started his career, the focus and emphasis on shooting has shifted so much in that direction that it's that much harder to get yes. away with having even one guy on the court who isn't a shooter. And look, when he was playing with Joel, Joel was a guy you worried about shooting threes. You are not worried about Nick Claxton shooting threes. No. So if you have him and Ben Simmons out there, even if you've got Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith playing next to him, with two non-shooters on the court, your life is very difficult as an NBA offense. And that's assuming Ben Simmons is 100% healthy, and is playing somewhere near where he was before, which is a massive assumption given we haven't seen that version of Ben Simmons in three years now. Well, and people can say, well, what about Giannis? Giannis isn't a shooter, you know, blah, blah, blah. One thing I would say is that Giannis has a completely different mentality and always has. Ben Simmons does not want to be that aggressive because he doesn't want to get fouled. Giannis well, that's the thing Simmons, about Giannis. And, well, when Giannis, Giannis is playing has... next to Brooke Lopez also. So he's mm-hmm. at oftentimes the worst shooter on the court, and he still will shoot the ball. Right. Well, the thing about Giannis that I love, and I'm not saying that you can't find instances where he was maybe trying to avoid getting fouled a little bit, is that Giannis doesn't mind failing. Doesn't mind going, hey, if he's like, 7 of 18 from the line in a game, so be it. Yeah, he'll keep going for sure. All right, well, let me read some of these quotes just in case people didn't see it. He said, he was asked about what his goal was for the upcoming season. He said, 
for me to come back and dominate people will be great. I don't intend to come back the same player I was last season because that's not even close to where I am. I get excited because I'm like, damn, I would bleep on the player I was last year. But I know where I was last year, so it's easy to say that. But it's just fun to go do the thing that you love when you're out there. Um, the version I'm at right now, if I was playing against myself from last season, I would kill him. That's how I feel. Well, now, he can look, play one-on-one, so I think it's, he, can, he can say that. Okay, so this is just my hypothesis, just to be clear. No one has told me this. Mm-hmm. This is my view of the situation. We got it. I wonder if this attitude and going public with this attitude is part of an effort to build up his confidence. Yeah. Because as we know, obviously the back is an issue and it's been an issue since he was in Philly. Can I make a counterpoint Um, to this before we continue? Yeah. Yeah. These are the kinds of things. Well, these are the kinds of things that Ben Simmons has always said. This is always the thing he has presented. He's never once said, I have an issue shooting the ball. He's never once said he, he went like nine really- months without speaking to the media. This is this yeah. is not uh, media day. He invited uh, yeah. Mark to come talk to him and he made yeah. these comments. Yeah, I understand. I, I, but, I don't think but it's I, quite the same. Well, I guess my point is he's it, he's had plenty of instances of saying things like this in the past. To me, I just I don't I don't care about what he said. It just doesn't matter to me. Is he going to actually be on the court? And is he actually going to forget being an all-star? Is he just going to be a productive player and on the court on a regular basis next year? That but, would be a win from where it's been. But I, I agree with where Wendy was, was going with this. And that's, look, since this guy shriveled in front of the entire world and got scared of 148-pound Trey Young and passed the ball, a critical moment, in his final series in Philadelphia, his final game in Philadelphia, since that moment, he has played 42 games. And as he's basically saying himself, not well. And I, I think this guy's trying to basically find a, a, a pump to, to pump himself back up. Well, perhaps this was, this was a strategic um, situation. Now, something else. I mean, that part said, I agree with for sure. I just. I'm not saying it's going to work, but I think yeah. it's. This is something else that he said. He talked about his relationship with Jacques Vaughn. These were very interesting quotes. Okay. So as you remember, I'm sure you do if you're listening to this pod, Jacques Vaughn took over December. When or did, did Steve make it through November? I can't remember, but early he, in the season. He got fired in mid, mid-November. mid Jacques Vaughn took over as the interim coach for about two days. It looked like Ime Udoka was going to be the Nets head coach. And then that didn't happen. And then Jacques right Vaughn, in the middle of the whole Kyrie controversy, by the way, this all happened in the middle of that nexus, which is, I think right. we could say at least a factor in why you was not the coach of the team. Okay. So I just think it's important to realize that Jacques Vaughn was like the interim interim coach and then the mm-hmm. interim coach and then the head coach. Okay. So this is what he was saying. I feel like our relationship to start was terrible. Mm-hmm. There was just so many different factors going into the team. We had Steve, and then um, Jock became the head coach. Kev, Kai were, le- were left. I'm not playing. I don't really have a relationship with him like that because he wasn't the head coach. There was a little distance or gap between the assistants and the injured players sometime, sometimes. And I got mad at him because there was no communication. There's none of that. So I'm kind of a little frustrated with coach. I know coach is frustrated with me. He was describing about how things were. Mm-hmm. last season one day people are telling him i'm good the next it's not from the start it wasn't good so it's a tough situation for him and myself but now having the right plan and team around me um, he has seen from simmons okay he's dedicated he wants to work he wants to win and he's doing what's what he what it's willing what he's willing to needs to do to be on the court so now we're in a great place i speak to him every other day i'm excited because i think coach is great great as a person great coach that's the main thing just being a good human he said that Jock has been down to see him in Miami three times this summer and that he has told him, quote, point guard. He will play point guard. That's who I am. As much as people say, fix this, fix that. No, I'm a point guard. When I was playing at a high level, nobody was really saying anything to me. So I mean, that, again, so Spears, that, hold on one again, more thing. So sorry, Spears followed sorry. up. Hold on. Spears followed up saying, so coach Vaughn has said, you're going to be the point guard. Uh, yes, we've spoken about that. I think he's come down enough to where he knows, okay, he's going to be ready. This is the fundamental problem with the whole Ben Simmons persona. 
Okay. And this is coming for someone who has always liked dealing with Ben really enjoys watching Ben as a player wants to see Ben Simmons healthy on the court, playing well again. The idea that quote, people were not really telling me things when I was playing at a high level is just flatly insane. That's a completely ridiculous thing to say. He, the shot has always been a huge problem. Mm-hmm. He was, Brett Brown was begging point, him. remember he was saying, just take yes, one a game. <laughs> I was there when that happened. Let's just have him take one. Let's start there, right? This has been an ongoing thing, and Ben Simmons has always refused to admit it. He's always never been willing to say, yeah, I'm not a good shooter. It's something I need to work on. It's something I can get better at. He's never been willing to do that ever. And this whole interview was all sort of the same stuff over again. Oh, yeah, I'm a point guard. People didn't say this stuff to me. When I was playing well, no, they did say that stuff to you. It was a problem then. You were playing in the Toronto series, basically at in the short corner at center because you couldn't have the ball in the fourth quarter of games because you were a liability at the foul line and you would not. You were not a three point shooter. This has been an ongoing problem for a long time. So again, I hope he is back on the court healthy. I hope he plays really well. I just don't really care about these comments and what he's saying. This is a put up or shut up the definition of a put up or shut up situation with him getting back on the court and playing again. It just, I just, it, this is all the same stuff just in a different packaging that he's been saying for years. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. And, you know, there was a question in there where Spears uh, asked him, you know, basically, why didn't you ask out when, when KD did, when Kyrie did, and the honest answer would have been like, do you think anybody's trading for that contract? <laughs> like, dude, right now, Ben Simmons, is there a worse contract in the NBA? Is there a bigger albatross of a contract? I mean, I mean given for- given we don't know if he's going to be able to get on the court, I think the answer is no. You, you could maybe argue because it's only two years, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the worst easily. Yeah. And until further notice, you know, right? <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Right now, though, he is – it's interesting. I honestly – I can't say I thought about Ben Simmons in a while before Spears had this story. Like, he's kind of just been forgotten about. Uh, like you said, he's played 42 games in two seasons. 42 games? Well, yeah, but the first year that he wasn't playing games, he was definitely in pub, in the public consciousness from the holdout to – like let's be honest. When the back stuff first came up, everybody thought it was just a, a, a ploy to not have to go – out on the floor for the for the 76ers anymore. Obviously, it was much, much, much more serious than that. And it, it, it wasn't any kind of make-believe stuff. Well, the back thing, the back thing actually came up during the Net Celtics series because he was gonna play. He was gonna they the, all the talk was he was gonna play in that game four. And then all of a sudden it was, well, Ben can't go today when he was like on the verge of coming back. And it was yeah. like, oh, well, all right. I do wonder what uh the people with the Australian national team who obviously they're busy playing in the world cup because he does have something in here talking about, he definitely wants to play in the Olympics. My assumption is the reaction is basically kind of rolling their eyes. Like, okay, dude, we'll, we'll believe it when we see you in a uniform. I would, I would say that's definitely, I mean, I haven't asked the Australians, but based off of the history between Ben Simmons and Australia with that, I would say that's 1000% the reaction to that. Are you thinking 2024 Olympics in Paris yeah, for sure. Olympics, yeah, 100%. And that's what I want to do next year. He says, Spears says, have you told Australian basketball officials of these hopes? He says, I'll let you break the news. <laughs> yeah. Like, and to be clear, Spears, the interview with Spears is great. I, my, right. Me saying I don't care about what Ben said is nothing. The interview is a really interesting read. I read the whole thing the day it came out. But I just... Let's just see Ben Simmons on the court. It can just be like, let's see Zion Williamson on the court. It can it can be interesting, and you cannot put a lot of stock into it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So to be continued there. Before we go, the NBA announced Wednesday evening. I think I saw it when I got up here Thursday morning. Um, Thursday afternoon. That here in America. That Eric Lewis, longtime NBA referee, who had been. I guess suspended, or I don't know what the word is. They, they, they um, launched an investigation back in the spring. And this was the result. Right. And um, so he announced he's retiring after 19 seasons because uh, some, I don't remember who revealed that some people on Twitter felt that they had found his 
burner accounts. I think well, people um, on Twitter very clearly found his burner account. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, people started harassing, I would say, I don't know if harassing is the right word, but people then found that his family had Celtics fans in it. And so that became a thing. Well, right. Well, he had officiated that, that Lakers Celtics game where there was yes, the, uh, the, the missed call, call at the end, end of the game. game. Yes. This is a great uh, Pat Bev uh, camera moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. With Eric Lewis. <laughs> Which was funny. It was funny. Okay, here's what I'm going to say about so, this. So I'm going to read the NBA uh, statement in its entirety. NBA referee Eric Lewis has informed the league office that he is retiring effective immediately. In light of his decision, the NBA's investigation into social media activity has been closed. I'm a little suspicious of the Lewis doing the informing. Um, it being his decision. And then, so the investigation has been closed. Okay, first of all, like how long was this investigation going to take? So basically what I'm calling is BS on this. And like, dude, you're the NBA where there's been a ton of questions about uh, the, frankly, the integrity of officiating. I mean, damn, there's an entire Netflix documentary about the, Tim Donahue scandal. That's still well, in the back. I'm just saying, <laughs> I would think some transparency is in order here. Instead of just, oh, well, gee whiz, he decided to retire. I uh, guess that closes the investigation. Why? Who knows what we would have found if we'd well, actually gotten to the end of this I, investigation? I, I, well, that's the thing. I, I, it seems like there might be more to it, but I don't. I don't know. You know, it just it just happened. Look, I would say <laughs> this is the uh, to me this read as Eric. From everything I saw with these burner account tweets, it did not seem really to be that bad in the aggregate. It was like basically defending referees. The issue is, yes. And the issue is referees are not supposed to. That's right. And the issue like that in itself is not a huge deal. These referees are not supposed to be on social media. They're not supposed to be commenting publicly about things. That is inherently what the issue is with this situation. I don't know if he needed to be driven out of his job. I think it's very safe to say, as you said, McMahon, if you read this, this felt very much like a you can resign or you can be fired situation and you choose to resign. I think the bigger, longer term thing with this is the NBA has now lost another pretty good veteran ref. There have been a bunch of pretty good veteran refs to very good veteran refs the past several years that have graduated out. and it's sort of TBD on how the replacements are going. And I think that's an interesting story to watch. There needs to be transparency from the NBA. The investigation, don't, don't say you closed the investigation. What'd you find? You had plenty. I don't think that's happening. What'd you find? I mean, yeah, there's there's a 0% chance. Okay. Then, then don't cry Uh, when people don't believe that the, the officiating in the NBA has integrity. You can't have it both ways. Well, I mean, look, the NBA loves to try to have it both ways. It never does. I also think that a lot of the initiatives they have tried to put in with this stuff, like the last two minute reports and some of this other stuff, has all pretty much backfired anyway. I I don't think any of it's really changed the way people look at this stuff. I just think it's given more ammunition for people to take shots at the refs. So, I, you know, I. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can't listen to players and coaches about officiating. It doesn't mean that they're wrong when they say that uh, that a referee might have a certain bias. It doesn't mean that they're wrong when they say that they've been that this call was incorrect or whatever. It's them who are feeling it on their bodies or whatever. They it is impossible for them to be objective. It is not also in their human nature, which is why that Luca can get to the foul line 15 times and be furious that he's getting uh, the the, right. the wrong whistle. He's That's genuinely right. furious. He might even be in some cases correct, but he cannot be the arbiter. Okay. And so like the, like in that documentary that you were talking about McMahon, Andre Guadala was on a mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, I believe Gilbert Arena's podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he was talking about, he only played a couple, like a dozen or so games last year with the Warriors. And he got ejected from one of them. And he said that the reason he got ejected, this was his explanation for why he got ejected, not necessarily the referees. This is his explanation for why he got ejected was because he came to the official and said, I saw the Netflix doc 
And the referee supposedly kicked him out based on that. Now I'm not going to, that was a, Oh, that was an awesome thing to say on a podcast. I'm sure he said it though. That's exactly the kind of guy he is. I'm sure. No, I'm sure he did say it. I don't know if that's the, maybe he said 36 things and that was the 36. Well, but again, (laughs) but but again, if you're Andre Godala and you walk up to the ref and you say that you're implying that he's fixing the game, which is why he got ejected. Of course. That's right. But that is the issue that the league has is the, is the appearance of the of of the integrity, not even whether it's it's true. It's just the appearance of it. And frankly, That's right. while I absolutely believe we didn't get the full Tim Donahue story, I also think that Tim Donahue has less than zero credibility. So For you sure. know, like I, I can't trust anybody in that situation. So all I'm just saying is this: I can't take what a player or a coach or a general manager says about refereeing with with you know it's it's it it doesn't have lack of bias i don't have access to all the referee stats but here's what i can tell you eric lewis was an all-star official he refereed a bunch of finals games and i felt on games that i watched he did a very good job of he's a good ref handling the game while maintaining control maintaining his composure i thought he was one of the best officials that we that that, uh, that that we would see in the league and this is definitely a loss for the NBA. It doesn't mean that he didn't deserve to be to be going. But when it comes to the concept of integrity with officials, I can't listen to what players say about it. Okay. And that's fine. That's fine. It's okay. They just cool. it's not a, to be offensive, but they're in the they're in the game. They can't they can't their opinion yeah, I, can't I don't hold I don't think the story way. here is about what the players say to be well, yeah, the, the the thing about it here is like NBA is choosing to be as vague as possible here. They are like Let's listen to what the league office has to say. Oh, two sentences of complete bull crap. Hmm. Okay, great. That's well, really again, I, yeah, but, but like do you know said, why they're being vague? Because if they say any more, it only opens up more things for people to point at, which further undermines the integrity. And people also were already going after the guy's family and stuff as it is. I Look, I, I think at the end of the day, to me, the biggest long-term ramification of this is what you just said, Brian. The league has lost another good ref. And over the past several years, it's lost a ton of good experienced refs. And I think that is going to be a long-term problem if it isn't already one now. That, I think, is the biggest issue with this. Well, Chris Paul's not got too much left to uh, <laughs> play in career. I you mean like Leon Wooding, go back, go into, the, go into that hey, side of things. man knows the rule book. I can tell you that right now. He'd be teeing up people faster than his old buddy Scott Foster. <laughs> he became a ref with T here, T here. Do the do little think, T, he, little T's say, all around. Paul do the little T's. <laughs> I'm telling you, one of the best things that a ref can be is have control of the game without having emotion. This is obviously not breaking news. Eric Lewis was one of those types of guys. He's a good ref for sure. Now he apparently uh, had emotion on social media, but not outward in the game. And so, hey, this uh, is it's unfortunate. Advice, same advice I give to a lot of young reporters: when in doubt, don't tweet. It's a good way to end. I agree. Right it's the ninety-nine percent rule that I've used for years. Actually, my rule is ninety-nine point nine nine. If you have one percent, should I? Like even one just little teeny doubt. No. Just don't. No. Don't. I've had to learn that one. (laughs) Now that I'm old and wise, Uh, I've got it. X, not Twitter. X. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Thank you and happy birthday. We're we're running out of time here, McMahon, to you to celebrate your birthday. Get some icy hot on that back. Thank you to Bond Temps. I guess. I don't know. Next time we talk to you, will you be overseas? I don't know. Nope. I'll see you. Thank you to Jackson, our producer, who came in off the basketball court to record this pod. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. And feliz cumpleaños.